Swivel. Words once overused can lose their meaning. What does premium really mean other than that the product or service attached to it is probably overpriced? We've blurred artisan and vintage into nothingness, and the pandemic took pivot and unprecedented. I'm really sorry I had to say that one. The startup world is responsible for its fair share of fuzzy vocabulary, too. Agile or lean or likely to get an eye roll, and synergy is, well, just a no-no. Two words that feature in many of today's pitch decks are disrupt and democratize. I mean, does cat litter really need to be democratized? We all know the startups that have truly changed the face of an industry, and we all want to be like them. But how many of us will really get to lay claim to achieving the true meaning of those words? From Swivel Media, I'm Scotty Allen. I've been a startup product manager, an educator, and now I coach founders in developing a product mindset. And this is Starting Line, the new founders podcast, where we talk to established and emerging founders and we start from the beginning. My guest for this episode is well on his way to achieving those lofty terms. My name's Dominic Woolridge. I'm the co-founder and CEO of LawPath. Founded in Sydney, Australia in 2014 with the aim of changing the way legal services were provided to small businesses, LawPath has grown into the go-to place for online legal software and solutions, having served over 300,000 customers in Australia and New Zealand with a wider international expansion on the cards. Looking back, John was probably always on the path to being a founder. My mum's a teacher. My dad's an entrepreneur. I grew up thinking I was actually going to be a musician. I loved playing the saxophone. I did that all through school. But definitely in the later years of school, I realized that I had a real passion for starting businesses, buying and selling things. Founders, of course, come from all walks of life. But more often than not, their stories share some early signs of entrepreneurial thinking. Even if it takes years to return to, the creativity and hustle involved in the self-starter path leaves a lasting impression. For some, it's babysitting or lawn mowing or even the good old lemonade stand, which I assume COVID killed, right? I mean, that stuff was always a germ factory. In Dom's case, it was fashion upcycling. Last year of high school and first few years of university, we would go to some of the charity shops here in Sydney and get Levi 501 jeans for $2. And it was Winton coloured jeans were fashionable. So we'd go home, meet my friend, and get paint, and we'd get our saws from the garage, and we'd get the sandpaper, and we'd rough them all up. We'd drive at 3 a.m. to get the best spot at the market, sleep in our car, and at 7 a.m. we'd be first in line And we'd put these jeans out on the table and we'd mark them up to $25 a pair and sell out by lunchtime. And we just thought it was the best thing. I think we used to make about $100 a day or $150 a day. That was my very first own business. And since then, I haven't lost that passion of trying to turn $1 into four or $1 into 10. My first business consisted of seven or eight-year-old me taking some of my old toys around the neighborhood in a little red wagon and selling them for 10 cents to my very kind and understanding neighbors, many of whom no longer had children at home. I can't explain it. 
I didn't have very many friends my own age. While Dom's early entrepreneurial efforts were profitable, he still saw himself on a conventional study and career path after high school. But just like the jeans that he was selling, those plans were about to have a few holes put in them. When I actually finished school, I didn't get the marks to get into university. There was a lot of pressure that I'd put on myself because I felt at the time that was the path you had to take to be successful. And there was a lot of social pressure as well because a lot of my friends had got into university. And so I felt I'd missed a really big opportunity. Plus, my dad had gone to university, done a business degree at the university that I wanted to go to. And so I really wanted to follow in his footsteps as well. So there were a lot of reasons why I looked for other avenues to get in. Luckily, the uni I wanted to go to had one of these programs, which a lot of universities do now, which is essentially a one-year bridging course, and you get good marks there, and they'll let you into the mainstream course. And so, scraped into a business degree, did a business degree, then got to the end of that and thought, I'm quite enjoying university. I'm not really ready for the real world yet. And so, moved over and did a law degree. As Dom's early foray into distressed denim implies, he was always a lateral thinker with tenacity, two qualities that helped him navigate his way around not initially meeting the academic requirements for university, and the very traits that drove him to see beyond the staid world of corporate law. There's a lot of pressure if you do a law degree to become a corporate lawyer at one of these large firms. And I definitely jumped on the bandwagon there and did that. And so I ended up after university going straight into one of these corporate law firms. I really liked it. I don't regret going there at all. The training you get at these large law firms is extremely good. I definitely had that urge to go back into small business or startups or try and run my own thing. So whilst I was there, I actually started an online education business called Rideshare Training that trained gig economy workers, Uber drivers, DoorDash, Deliveroo on how to work on these platforms and maximize your earnings. And I loved it. I call it a side hustle because I was working as a lawyer during the daytime. So I built this company up. At first, we were more of a face-to-face training business. I had training centers around Australia, and then eventually we moved online. And I love that business. I actually still run it on the side. It's a little bit smaller now than it was five years ago. But it was the catalyst for me to say, I have to give a startup a proper go. I don't know if I can sit in my chair for the next 20 years and become a partner at a law firm. I'll kick myself if I don't do something. And so mixing the startup entrepreneur in me and the legal was a perfect combination to start the business today. For many, a prestigious company or a profession is hard to give up. But for Dom, the set-in-stone structures of commercial legal practice proved constricting and elitist. Through his own experience setting up a small business, he knew the legal system in Australia was designed to keep the average small business owner at the mercy of expensive legal counsel, which is where he saw his opportunity. I call myself a recovering lawyer. So I spent a long time in the legal industry working as a commercial lawyer, as a criminal lawyer. I worked at the International Court of Justice for a while, so I feel I got access to all areas of the law. And a common theme through all of that experience was that the law was not that accessible to people and especially small businesses and startups. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone that said, I had a fantastic experience when I dealt with my lawyer when I was setting up my company. It's always, I didn't know what I was doing. It was too expensive. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. And so I really felt it was a better way of delivering legal services. 
The recipe for innovation usually involves taking seemingly unrelated things and fusing them together. In Tom's case, it was his insight into both legal services and software as a service that allowed him to see the possibilities that would become LawPath. We looked at a lot of other professional services industries and we saw that they'd gone online. They'd moved to self-serve platforms. Look at the accountants, right? About 10 years ago, the whole accounting industry just changed and companies QuickBooks and Xero and Intuit burst onto the scene. And now when you speak to a small business about accounting, they say, what? I use Xero. I use QuickBooks. I only go and see my accountant or my bookkeeper once a year. And I thought, well, why is it that for accounting? But for legal, you have to go and see a lawyer every time you want to do something legal. And they're going to charge you in six-minute increments or they're going to charge you four, or $500 an hour. It's just crazy. So took a lot of the learnings from the accounting industry and thought, how do we apply that to legal? Future founders keep their eyes peeled and ears to the ground for other companies' innovations and new ideas that might provide a spark of inspiration or the missing piece in their plan of action. Dom saw how online accounting platforms had changed that industry and was able to envision a similar possibility for legal services. So now we've helped about 300,000 small businesses and startups get going. And I really love the feedback I get, especially from second-time founders, when they say, oh, my God, I can't believe I found LawPath. Before, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars getting set up. I spoke to these attorneys, and they got me doing all these different things, and I really just wanted to find a software solution that did all that for me. And that's really what LawPath is. One of the things we really believe is you can spend a small amount of money at the beginning to get set up correctly, and it's going to save you so many problems down the road. So we help you get set up and then we manage all of your legals moving forward. That might be things creating documents, e-signatures, workflows, trademarks, all those boring things that you didn't set up your startup to do, we do that for you. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. The idea made total sense to Dom. And while he had support around him, it's fair to say that many of his more conventional legal peers were skeptical about his career move. I always really felt this strong need to build something. So parents and family were obviously very supportive. I think I was still young enough in my career that they knew that I would bounce back if it didn't work. The most difficult feedback to take was the feedback from my colleagues at the law firms because they just couldn't believe that I would leave such a prestigious job to go and start something from scratch. All lawyers are risk averse, right? So it's probably one of the industries you see very little people jumping ship because it's just not in their blood. And really interestingly, since I left, and that was seven, eight years ago now, the amount of lawyers that have reached out to me and said, hey, I'm working in this large firm, but I'm sure if it's exactly what I want to do, how was your experience? It's definitely become more and more acceptable now to leave those commercial jobs and go out on your own. The experiences Dom had early on in having to take a more circuitous route to the degree he wanted had taught him a valuable lesson. If the direct route is blocked, there's always another way. This was a learning that would put him in good stead as he navigated the first hurdles of his startup ventures. There were four of us when we first started, and the initial idea behind the business was how do we connect lawyers and customers together online? And look, to be honest, it wasn't that much of a novel idea, right? There's Essentially, it was a marketplace, and there were lots of marketplaces out there already, but no one had really tried to do it specifically in the legal industry. And so 
we spun up a, a website which was essentially free 30-minute calls with lawyers and we called around a bunch of lawyers. Um, actually, we, we went on LinkedIn and we added a bunch of lawyers on LinkedIn and we said, hey, will you take a free 30-minute call if we can promise you that they might turn into a customer? And the lawyers said yes. We put some AdWords behind the site and we did some advertising. Speak to a lawyer for free. And we got going. We were starting to get maybe 30 or 40 customers through the website a day, speaking to lawyers. And what became apparent really, really quickly was that we weren't really helping. The core of the issue was that people couldn't afford lawyers or they couldn't access the right type of lawyer. And all we were just doing is just connecting them. And it wasn't solving that underlying issue. The relatively short path to this discovery underlines the power and importance of iteration when it comes to validating business ideas. Until they're tested, our ideas, no matter how educated they might be, are assumptions. This short testing cycle would prove invaluable to Dom and his co-founders in uncovering the real problem they needed to solve. What we found was a lot of the customers were coming to us with very simple problems. With my legal background, I knew that that's a two-minute answer, or that's this simple template document. We very quickly realized that connecting clients and lawyers wasn't enough. What we actually needed to do was build tools that allowed people to complete legal tasks themselves. So that was a little bit of an aha moment. And we thought, okay, well, we need to build a platform. We need to make it accessible from any device at any time. And really what we need to do is empower people to complete tasks themselves rather than have to go to a lawyer each time. And so the very beginning of our platform started with document automation. We had so many small business owners coming to us saying, hey, I'm hiring a new employee and I don't know how to do the employment agreement. And we'd connect them with a lawyer and the lawyer would say, sure, that's $800, thanks. And the lawyer would just get a template out of their drawer and fill out the name and give it back to the client. And it took them 10 minutes. And so we actually approached the provider of the legal contracts and was said, look, why don't you sell them to us instead? And we'll sell them directly onto the customer. So on our platform, you could then answer some questions that would auto-generate an employment agreement for you. And that was the very first part of our contract automation system. Automating the mindless, the dry, and the anachronistic is one great way of enticing people to use your software as a service. But growing with your customer base is another, and this is where LawPath seems to be excelling. Now, fast forward five years, it's, it's a lot smarter than that. You can do hundreds of different contracts. It auto-fills it out based on the information we have about your business. You can collaborate with your lawyer. You can e-sign. It's a full end-to-end contract management system, and that's just part of our platform. But really what we're trying to do in the long term is what I call commoditize law, which is take all of those processes that you would traditionally go to a lawyer for and replace it with software. And as the platform gets bigger and bigger, software gets smarter and smarter, the less time you need to go to a lawyer. Now, one caveat that I will throw in is that you will never replace lawyers. I've definitely come to the conclusion that you won't replace a lawyer, but what we will do is fundamentally change what a lawyer does. So lawyers didn't go to university to draft simple agreements or answer simple questions or apply for simple registration through the government. What they went to uni for was to answer difficult legal questions. And so what our software does is does all the simple stuff for the small business, But then if you need to actually connect to a lawyer, you can connect to a lawyer as well. And we do all of this on a subscription basis. So 
instead of charging people transactionally or by the hour or by the minute, we just say you pay a monthly or an annual fee and you get access to everything. That might be tools, documents, unlimited calls with lawyers. We've actually just added in accounting as well. So that's, that's the evolution of the business. So, Tom, speaking of evolution, how would you recommend that a new founder approach the process of scaling up their business? I am a really big believer in at the early stages before you've found product market fit, before you've even generated revenue, do not jump into paying a developer to build something with all the bells and whistles because I can't tell you how many times our product has changed from the original concept. And so if you spend all this money making it amazing, chances are you're going to throw away a lot of it on the way through. And you actually have to prove to people, especially if you're a venture-backed business, that you can generate money. It's all well and good going and saying, hey, I have this really great product and I love it, my friends love it. But if you can't sell it to Joe on the street who doesn't know you and isn't your friend, you don't have a business yet. And so I'm really a big believer in using third-party products and proving it up until you get it to a point where the risk has gone from the idea and you'll be using it long-term. When we hit 100,000 users, we brought in quite a senior back-end architect to revisit our scalability and making sure that we could scale up past a million users. But that wasn't because we had the foresight of doing it. That was because our platform kept dropping out. It just kept going down. And we had just pushed it too hard. And we would be down for three or four hours. We realized that if we don't fix this now, we're going to have big, big problems down the track. So you feel you're not moving forward when you're spending three or four or five months redoing the back end of your platform. But God, it's, it's, it's helped us so much. It was a good thing to do at the time. What have been the biggest transitions for you from lawyer to founder? On a personal level, moving from time-based billing to value-based billing has been a big shift. I often say the legal industry is the last professional services industry to be disrupted because there is such a huge incentive there for them to actually take more time. Software, the incentive is to do it faster. So I've actually tried to surround myself with people that don't have legal backgrounds. For a company of 75 people, there's only five or six lawyers in our business. And the reason for that is lawyers can often get a little bit institutionalized in the way that things should be done. And if we're going to disrupt an industry, it's really important that we bring in other people. And I really love working through legal issues with developers because I'll go and sit down with them and say, well, this is the legal problem that a small business has in Australia. And this is how the legal industry solves it. And well, why, why does it have to be that? Why can't we do this? And no lawyer would ever say that. Lawyer will just say, look, well, this is how it's done. This is how I was taught at university. This is how it's done in the industry. So often taking a legal problem that a small business has and giving it to a developer is a much better solution than giving it to a lawyer. I'm a real big believer in bringing in skill sets from outside an industry into a certain industry. It's that old same input, same output thing. If you're not going to change the people that are thinking about the problem, you're just going to get the same solutions. How has your leadership style adapted as LawPath has grown? I think in the last five years, I've grown a lot as a leader. We went from two people to 75 people. And it's been very interesting because my role probably changes the most out of any role in the company. I started moving out of the product part of the business, and that's been extremely hard to let go of. But coming to the understanding that 
to scale a business quickly, you need to be able to delegate and relinquish a little bit of control. And not everyone will do it the same way as you. And you really just have to focus on, do we get to the outcome that we want? It doesn't matter how we get there. And I think once I realized that, I was very happy to hand off sales and product and HR to the different department heads. The biggest challenge I'm facing in the business at the moment is communication flow. It's really difficult. We've hired 30 people in the last four months and I don't get to talk to everyone on their first day anymore. I used to be able to sit there next to the person for the first few months and they would hear me on the phones and they'd hear the way I talk about the business and the way that we're helping small businesses. And I can't do that anymore. One thing we started recently, which has worked really well, and I wish we'd done it before, is CEO town halls. So just the ability for anyone in the business to ask any question on a Friday afternoon. And I was blown away by the different types of questions, but also the different topics that people wanted to talk about. I think it's really important people still have access to management and feel they're going to be heard. And now that we're doing a much better job of it, People are far more productive, far more motivated. And lastly, what advice would you give to new founders? It's something that I've actually become very passionate about recently is this concept that you're at school, you're pushed down this path. You should go to uni, you should go to uni, you should go to uni. And then at uni as well, you're actually also pushed down a path. In my case, you're doing a law degree. You need to go to one of the commercial firms. You need to go to one of the commercial firms. And I think that I now teach at the university that I went to and one of the messages that I say to the students there is that there's so many more opportunities out there. If you think outside the box, you can be really, really successful. And I think that's so important for students to know because you can feel you're a real failure if you don't do what was expected of you in air quotations. It really drove home for me last year, not to toot my own trumpet, but I won an alumni award from the university. And I was sitting there with the chancellor and they were congratulating me. And then I told them that I'd been through this bridging course and they couldn't believe that someone that had come through the bridging course into the university of 50,000 students had then gone on to win the alumni award, which was really awesome. I, I really felt good about that. Many thanks to Dom Woolridge for speaking to me for this episode. You can find out more about LawPath at lawpath.com.au. Starting Line is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by Haley Mae Brecken and me, Scotty Allen. The Swivel producer team includes Amanda Reedy, Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace, and Lauren Fitzgerald. This episode was mixed and edited by Rob Clark. Original music by Ash Janif. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps other people to find our show. To find out more about Swivel, our services, and other shows, visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, and find us on social media. Swivel. Cool.